Okay, so we're not going to directly visit the Christmas theme in this message, although next Sunday we will hit it hard with Jesus as King and how that was actually a treasonous declaration back in Luke 2. So what does that look like today for us to declare Jesus as King? So that'll be fun. It'll be good. But this morning, I want to revisit the topic of gratitude. It is an absolutely crucial way of life. As we mentioned last time, talking about this, it's not simply a nice little Hallmark card. This goes deep. This goes really deep into the core of a way of life that God invites and even commands his people to live with. And there's actually a lot on the line. The people of Israel, you could say, you could summarize, lost out on the promised land because of the lack of gratitude and the propensity for grumbling. And if we look at our world today, it looks like grumbling and complaining is a new sport. Everybody's getting really good at it. And so there is a a, a value here to spend some time. Ryan kicked us off a couple weeks ago, and then I built on that with more gratitude, and now I want to just finish off at the topic for now to talk about the absolutely crucial nature on whether we choose to make gratitude or grumbling our way of life. And it's going to be. The more and more we sit in it and think about it, the more we'll realize that gratitude or grumbling is probably a way of life for us, one of them. And which one we choose to make a way of life will have dramatic spiritual consequences for us. One of the reasons why gratitude is such an important topic, in my opinion, is because the word gratitude has right in it gratia, the Latin word for grace. So gratitude has a fundamental connection with grace. Gratitude is really all about recognizing the gratia of God, the grace of God that is in our life. Gratitude is a healthy recognition that every single good thing in life is a gift from God. As James 1, 16 and 17 says, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from our Father of heavenly lights. That is a fundamental Christian piece of the a fundamental piece of the Christian worldview that we live by grace. Everything good in life is fundamentally a gift, an undeserved gift from our heavenly Father. And so gratitude is quite simply a recognition of the grace that man we are just swimming in. We woke up this morning, we're all alive today. That's a gift beating of our heart, the breath in our lungs, our bodies just even working well enough to get into here. And everything in between, every breath we take is a gift from God. And all the goodness that we receive, all the gifts of God that we're contemplating and and thinking about and celebrating in the Christmas season, it's all grace. And it should all flow into gratitude. A recognition of, wow, 
it is good to be a child of the king. And yet James says some interesting words as he starts out. He says, don't be deceived. And any time, almost every time in the Bible, the word deceived comes up. It's talking about something deep. Deception has to do with lies. Lies has to do with the liar, the deceiver, the father of lies, the one who is trying to distract us or deceive us, get us off track with the truth of who God is and who we are, and get us to believe something that's wrong about ourselves, about God, about the world. So he can take us down a track that is not God's truth, not God's will for our lives. The last thing we want to do as Christians is to be deceived, because then we're becoming a puppet of the enemy. And the enemy's will is going to be taking place, a root, if you will, or a stronghold, as Paul describes it, can take place of the enemy to work in our lives through deception. So when we see those words, don't be deceived, that should perk up. There's a lot on the line. This is about the spiritual battle for our spiritual well-being. And gratitude is right in the middle of that. That's what we saw when we looked at Numbers 13 and 14 and that whole journey of the people of Israel and how ultimately grumbling, that's what God spoke about. He says, you're grumbling, you're grumbling, you're grumbling. But he revealed that grumbling is just a symptom of a deeper condition. In Numbers 14, 31 to 33, God spoke and he says in this dramatic conclusion, your children will be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years and shall suffer for your faithlessness. And as we kind of joked last time, that's the, the sanitized, if not sissy version of a translation. The real and proper and only translation for that is whoring. Prostitution, prostituting of yourself with other gods. <laughs> so God takes it as a massive deal that the people of Israel were grumbling and grumbling and grumbling. From almost the time they left Egypt, it was just about grumbling. Oh, we don't have this. Oh, we don't have that. When are we going to get there? You know, you ever heard that in the car? When do we go back to Egypt? Oh, there was this time in Egypt I had that one good meal. Oh, my feet are a little tired. Oh, I'm a little thirsty. Oh, I'm kind of tired of this man. A grumbling, grumbling, grumbling. When are the promises going to come true? Over and over and over. And God said, ultimately, that's not about you're uncomfortable and you're doing a little complaining. God said that is ultimately your heart has fornicated from me. You have put your hope and trust and future and satisfaction in another God. You have rejected my promised land. Which is an interesting reality. God said, ultimately, I didn't take the promised land from you. I offered it over and over and over. And you rejected it over and over and over by having your heart in another place. And the, the outward manifestation of that was grumbling, but it goes way deeper. 
And so this is the kind of, whoa, don't be deceived, James says. There is a lot on the line when we're talking about gratitude and grumbling. And we see even the contrast in that passage where Joshua and Caleb, they experienced the exact same realities, the exact same hard realities of wandering through the wilderness that the rest of the people of Israel experienced. And they experienced the exact same realities as the other ten spies who went in to check out the promised land. And yet their response was incredibly different. They said this in Numbers 13.30, Let us go up at once and occupy the land, for we are well able to overcome it. Their hearts had not been prostituted to another god, resulting in grumbling. Their hearts had stayed true to trusting in the power of God. We are able to overcome it. They took ownership. But in reality, they were as grasshoppers compared to the giants living into the land. So how do they have this confidence that we can do it? Their confidence is in God. They had not put their confidence in other gods, other places, other hopes, other futures, other dreams. And so because of that, they stayed grateful, they stayed hopeful, they stayed confident. And it's this remarkable juxtaposition that you can go through the exact same circumstances and you can either have gratitude or grumbling. A lot of it comes down to what we choose to focus on. Are we focusing on the problems or are we focusing on the promises? Both can even be real. God never said to the people of Israel, deny that there's hard things going on. Deny that there's giants in the land. Pretend they don't exist. Cover your eyes. It's much bigger than that. It's recognizing that while problems exist, there's a God who's even bigger than those big problems. And so grumbling becomes this excessive focus. Excessive focus on the problem. To the point that it erodes faith. It becomes a toxic poison in our hearts. So, and gratitude, in contrast, is the healthy focus on the promises. It helps keep us recognizing the grace of God, the gifts of God, the goodness of God that's all around us. And so we left off last time really asking the question, are you, are we going to train our minds to focus on the problem or to focus on the promises? So gratitude becomes a spiritual discipline to train the mind to focus on what God calls us to focus on. He doesn't call us to focus on, to dwell, to live in the problems. Sure, recognize they're there, they exist, but focus on the promises. Focus on the character of God. Focus on what God has done in your past. Focus on the way he has redeemed you and healed you and saved you. So that your heart stays with God and gratitude comes out of your mouth. So the question for us this morning is how are we training our minds to focus on the reality of God's grace? 
It's all around us. I do take it as one of the great privileges in life that God calls us to steward well our own training. This is incredible. The relationship with God is real. So even after you make that confession of faith to follow Jesus, you have a choice every day. Do I want to get trained to be more like Jesus today or not? I can waste my time. Jesus said it like this in Luke 6.40. A disciple is not above his master or his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Do you hear that incredible invitation in there? It's a quick verse, but it's one that's so deep and vast with invitation. It reveals that Jesus' desire is to train you to live like him. That's an amazing thought. Do you think of Christianity as essentially training to be like Jesus? Like hardcore training to be like Jesus. That's exactly what it is by Jesus' own mouth, his will, his desire is to train you, the disciple, to be like the master. His will for your life is to fully train you to become like him. Not halfway, not a little bit, not the once a week, it's the all in, I want to get trained every day. Do you hear that call from Jesus? Come follow me. That's an invitation from Jesus. That is the master calling out to any apprentices who are willing to hear. And he's saying, let me train you in the ways of the kingdom. I have a world you do not know about. I operate in and from a world that is vastly different from anything you've ever known. It's it is not accessible on your own strength. I live in this thing called the kingdom of God. And everywhere I go, you're going to see it flow in me, through me, out of me. You're going to see in my wake, everywhere I go, what the kingdom of God looks like to taste and see the kingdom. You're going to see it in healing, in forgiveness, in restoration of identities, in the casting out of demons the raising of dead, the healing of the sick, the hope I instill in people, the joy I instill in people, the renewed life, the abundant life. You know what? That's a good phrase. I'm going to call it the abundant life. Everywhere I go, life. Do you want to get trained in knowing that kingdom? Come on. Train to reign. Train to reign with me, Jesus is saying. Let me train you. And it's amazing, we have so much choice to train with Jesus or not. It's the same exact thing. It's like if you've ever made that commitment, you know, the New Year's is coming up. Oh, I'm going to get healthy. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to join CrossFit. I'm going to train. And the alarm goes off. You have a choice. Snooze, off, or get out of bed and go do it. That's the daily choice with Jesus. You wake up, the king of kings is saying, let me train you to live in the kingdom today. 
Let me train you more. You're not there yet. Let's none of us get cocky. Oh, I trained enough yesterday. Are you like Jesus yet? Then more training is necessary. So it's until the day we die. For all of us, there's more training. There's more at hand. So we hear it. It's how much of the abundant life do you want? Get more training. How much of the Holy Spirit do you want to operate in? Get more training. How much of the sun setting you free do you want to encounter now in this life? Get more training. How much of the fruit of the Spirit do you want to just naturally grow out of you without even you making the effort? Get more training. One of the great privileges in life is to steward well our training. And God calls us, among other things, to specifically train our minds to think in kingdom ways. So if you're on board with, hey, Jesus is calling me to get more training to be like him, one specific way, and this is going to connect directly to gratitude, is he calls us to train our minds. Romans 12 says it like this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, which is the status quo. In other words, if you haven't yet been conformed and transformed to the kingdom, you are conformed to this world. It's just the, the water as a fish swims in. It's just the air we breathe. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, real quick, a couple words that are key. When this says, therefore, by the mercies of God, in light of how good God is, is what Paul's saying, present yourself. That, that, that has the sense of you make an offering. Give it to God, as it, as it says, as an act of worship, accessible. Present your offering. Just like kind of the, it's that Old Testament picture of people bringing a sacrifice to God, an offering of praise. Paul's saying you do that with yourself, and it's not just simply your physical body. That word somata, bodies, is, is a Greek sense of your entire being. It's the both physical and immaterial, spiritual of who you are. So really what this is saying is offer your entire self, like we just sang about, I surrender all. That's not a one-time thing. Why not? Because we take it back all the time. So in light of the great mercy of God, offer yourself. Offer your entire self. What? So that your mind is renewed. And this word mind is this, it's, the word is noose, and it has to do with your mental attitude that involves your, your, your disposition, your values, your beliefs, your, your attitude and disposition is kind of the key. Like, now let's talk about gratitude. What's your disposition? Gratitude or grumbling? So, putting all that together, Romans 12, 2. 12, 1 and 2. Paul's saying, in light of the great goodness of God, are you offering your entire self to God for your mind to be transformed? to be renewed, to be trained after the thoughts of heaven. This is a daily act of worship. But it's a training process, and that's what I want to focus on. It's not a one-time thing. 
there is significant training. There will be ups and downs. There will be struggles. There will be victories and failures. That's the training. Do you notice how often the disciples failed? And while Jesus would call them out and say, whoa, that was a lack of faith right there, did he kick them out? No. There's a difference between being called out and kicked out. He never kicked them out. He called them out. Because growth, because failure is part of the healthy growth process. So we've got to know that God's calling us to train in every aspect and training our minds. And it's going to be a struggle along the way. A struggle towards victory. So, with that mindset, Jesus calls us to be trained. Paul specifically says that part of that training is the renewing of our mind as we offer ourselves to God, saying, God, I need you to retrain my mind. I need you to help me stop thinking the way this world thinks about everything and start thinking how your kingdom thinks about everything. How do you see things from your perspective? What would the kingdom look like to break into my life in this area and that area and this area with your promises with your power, with your hope, with your future. I want to train my mind to think like that, God. So I give myself to you as an act of worship. And Jesus there, the master, the trainer, is going to be showing us. That's a lie. Get rid of that. Here's a truth. That's a lie. Get rid of that. Here's a promise. There's a deception. Get rid of that. Here's my perspective. Over and over. Until our mind is more and more renewed, what does it say? To know the will of God. What is good, perfect, perfect and acceptable according to God's ways, not the junk the world's feeding you. So without th those things in mind, let's just focus on two specific ways to train our mind toward gratitude. And this is where we can get real nitty-gritty and practice these things. Number one, we practice dwelling on the good. And that takes practice. Philippians 4.8, famous passage, for a reason. It's so important. Whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, these are all of God's things in the kingdom. God makes everything true and just and lovely and honorable and pure, commendable, excellent. If there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And the literal translation of think about is let your mind or put your mind to dwell on these things. And dwell is a synonym for live. So what this verse is saying, this is our choice. Where are we choosing to put our minds? Are you practicing thinking about all of the good things of God and choosing to put your mind there to dwell, to live, to remain? Like, that's where your mind hangs out. If it's good, if it's honorable, if it's lovely, if it's commendable, if it's righteous, if it's pure, if it's the things of God, I want to train my mind to just literally learn to live there. That's what this verse is saying. 
Where are we choosing to have our mind trained to live? If your choice in this didn't matter, Paul wouldn't say, put your mind there. If you didn't have the capacity to put your mind there, he wouldn't say, put your mind there. This is where in true relationship with God, we have a part in the relationship. Where are we choosing, partnering with God's grace, as Romans 12 said, offering it to God, so it's God's part, it's our part, it's this beautiful relationship, where are we choosing to say, I, I want my mind trained to focus on the good. We can choose to focus on the good things we do have or the things we don't have. We can train our minds to focus on the blessing of life or the brokenness that's still there. We can fix our mind on the promises of God or the pain in the world. We can dwell and live focused on the bad things in this broken and fallen world or the good things of God's grace and His kingdom that is present, that has been present, and is breaking in and desiring to break in in such a fashion in our life that we can relate with Paul when he says, God has done things in my life that are above and beyond what I could even ask or imagine. That's not just fluffy language. That is meant to be the experienced reality of every beloved child of God. And a lot of it has to do with what we focus on. Let's move on to the second piece here. If dwelling on the good and practicing dwelling on the good is absolutely crucial. The flip side of it, to train our minds toward gratitude, is to practice getting rid, getting rid of negative thoughts or taking negative thoughts captive. Paul takes a very aggressive approach in this, in this verse right here. 2 Corinthians 10, 4-6. He says, we, followers of Jesus children of God, have weapons of warfare. That's good language. Are we recognizing that in our life we are at war? Where if you're at war, you don't wake up and hit the snooze button when the enemies got you in the crosshairs. So Paul says, we got to take serious, we're at war. And the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh and blood, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So God has given us weapons to do spiritual battle. What's an amazing reality of this passage? Where is that spiritual war taking place? In your mind. 
That is where the battle is raging. There are strongholds. There are arguments against God. Opinions against God. And if those opinions and arguments are allowed to sit there, what do they become? What does he say? They become strongholds against God. Where? In our mind. So what do we do? Take every thought captive to obey Christ. Do we hear the the language in there? This is very aggressive. Take every thought captive. In other words, when negativity gets in your mind, grumbling gets in your mind, complaining gets in your mind, it should be treated like an enemy invader that you want to take as prisoner. This verse is a battle cry, a call from God for God's people to stand up as warriors, training their mind to get aggressive, to kick out negative thoughts, to allow our minds to be so trained that we get offended by negativity and get rid of it. So when negativity comes in and we can feel it even trying to seep in, I mean, this is where the battle's raging, Paul's saying, in your own mind. So negativity creeps in. Complaining creeps in. Grumbling creeps in. And the enemy is knocking at the door when that's happening. And Paul says, if we allow it to dwell there, it'll become a stronghold where the enemy can work. So what do you do? You treat it as a prisoner. You take it captive. You kick it out. You get aggressive. You fight. So translating this into our reality, we say, God, transform my mind in such a way that I am offended by my own negativity. That if I allow a negative thought to come in, or if the enemy puts a negative thought, or if I see something, a message from the world out there that puts negativity, that puts grumbling, that puts complaining, there would develop in me this gut-level reaction that says, wait a second, I'm offended by that negativity right now. Get out. You're not welcome here. This is where gratitude lives. This is where Thoughts on the goodness of God dwell. And between these two verses, both of Paul, what we see is that gratitude and grumbling are going to have a really hard time dwelling together because they're polar opposites. And so these two practices toward gratitude are practice dwelling on the good and practice kicking out negativity. They are not friends at all. A disciple of Paul goes on to describe what happens if we allow negativity to dwell. Hebrews 12, 15, a disciple of Paul writes this, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. See to it that no root of bitterness springs up in you and causes trouble, and by it many become 
defiled. This is why grumbling is so dangerous. If a seed of negativity gets in us, and they get in us almost daily, right? They're they're there, those negative thoughts about God, ourselves, others, the world. Oh, start to get anxious, start to get depressed, start to get despairing. And you feel that stuff. If that negativity is allowed to get planted and watered because we dwell on it, and that's the key, those thoughts will come. They'll be there. But if we take every thought captive and kick it out, then it doesn't get a chance to dwell, to live, and start that seed, therefore, then becomes a root. It starts to grow a root. Negativity will grow a root, described in Hebrews, a root of bitterness that defiles us. That's a strong word. Defiles us and defiles people around us. It's a, it's a toxic, spiritually toxic poison. And so we see that the consequences can be really, really dangerous. And so that's why Paul takes this aggressive language that I'm not going to take lightly negative thoughts. I'm not going to allow myself to dwell there. I'm not going to give a place for the enemy to get a foothold in my mind. I'm going to recognize there's a war taking place. The opinions come in. The, The arguments against Christ That little whisper that says, where's God on his promises? How come God hasn't come through yet? Look at what hasn't happened in your life. Oh, you're still here. Why aren't you further along? Why hasn't that breakthrough come? Why hasn't that provision come? Those are opinions and arguments against God that the enemy's going to try to come every day with in some fashion. They start as little negative things. But if we allow them to dwell, if we don't get aggressive, we don't take them captive, if we don't get offended by that thought, say, get out of here, then a root grows. It's going to cause bitterness. And gratitude is going to really have a hard time being alive because gratitude and grumbling don't live together very well. So out of these two things, these two practices of training our minds towards gratitude, practicing dwelling on the good, practicing kicking out anything negative, there's a covenant that I see emerging, a gratitude covenant. It's in there in your lift notes. We'll put it up there on the screen. I would challenge you guys to ponder it. And if you're ready, take it. Take it between you and God, between... you're married, a close friend, share it with somebody. Say, I want to take this gratitude covenant. Help me. Keep me accountable. That gratitude covenant just embodies these two parts, these two practices that God's word gives us to train our minds. So the gratitude covenant could sound like this. You can rewrite it in your own language. Here's mine. I commit to train my mind and heart to only dwell on positive Grateful thoughts that recognize the grace of God in every good thing in life. And I make it a goal to never dwell on a negative thought and allow it to grow into grumbling or even worse, bitterness. That right there will change our life. 
And none of this is meant to deny that problems don't exist. It doesn't deny that life's hard. But what we have in the Bible that we're looking at today is all of these commands on how to train our mind for ways to let the kingdom prosper. Because you know what the Bible doesn't say? The Bible doesn't command us things like this. Hey, you know what? When things get a little bit hard, complain in all circumstances. Or you know what? Just when, when, when problems exist, try to get easily embittered about the small stuff in life. Or you know what? Focus, wake up in the morning and focus on everything negative until you're depressed and anxious. Or if you're, you know, particularly just want to look outside of yourself, try to find all your neighbor's faults until you hate everyone. Or when you're looking at the world and just thinking about the big picture of things, just complain about all the world's problems until you've sucked out the last drop of hope from your soul. The Bible says nothing like that, right? But those things, those things come easy. Those are those lofty opinions that Paul talks about. Those are the, the arguments against Christ that are sometimes subtly coming our way and sometimes just an absolutely overt message. Sometimes it's from within us. Sometimes it's from without us. But it's that stuff that Paul says we've got to take a wartime mentality against. Because although some of those things that we complain about might be true, it is not going, the kingdom is not going to advance in you if you dwell on them to the point that bitterness and grumbling are your fruit. It's like recognize them just long enough just to be honest and sober about the problems in life and immediately give it over to God. Dwell on the promises of God, the nature of God, the character of God, the, the track record of God, remembering what He has done, what He is doing, and the promises of what He will do. It's a completely different way to live. Do believe that the Word of God calls us as Christians to live with a reflexive optimism. This idea that no matter what's going on, we have a filter, a lens through which we filter the world that doesn't deny problems, but immediately, reflectively, just in a, in, a, in a gut level, just reflective optimism takes over and we are, we are able to filter the real problems and junk of life through who God is displayed in Jesus Christ and the promises of his kingdom. So that when we go through life and we encounter things that are real and they are hard, we don't allow ourselves to dwell there because we know the dangers of it. And instead, things ring in our mind like Jesus said in Luke 12, 32. Fear not, little flock. It is my Father's good pleasure to give you his whole kingdom. How can you let a negative thought dwell if your reality as a follower of Christ, as a little child of God, is that God's will is to give you his entire kingdom? 
Or, as Jesus said about his own ministry, there is a thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life abundantly to its fullest, overflowing. So this gets real because it's like, so do we believe that or not? If I'm going to let negativity dwell in me to the point of grumbling, I am saying, Jesus, I don't believe you. And I'm not trying to overemphasize, this is what God said in Numbers. It says, you've fornicated with other gods. You have rejected all of my promises. You don't even want me or my promised land. So gratitude and grumbling are heavy because they are a good litmus test of what are we allowing to win the battle in our mind? What do we really believe? Or in Matthew 7, 7 through 11, Jesus says all these amazing things about ask, seek, knock. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. Why? Because you have the perfect heavenly Father. How much more will you, Father who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask? If that's true, how could I possibly let a root of bitterness and grumbling grow in me? No way. Not on my watch. Not while I'm awake. Not while I'm a soldier for Christ, even in my own mind. I want to be offended by my own bitterness. I want to be offended by my own complaining. I want to be offended by my own negativity and say, get out of here. You do not belong here. This is where gratitude dwells. Why? Because do you know who Jesus is? And you've got to fight and remind yourself. And the Holy Spirit will partner with that fighting and training and renew your mind so that these things become more and more of our reality. And we win and the kingdom reigns. But we got to train to reign. Let me pray. I have a moment of reflection and I know my wife's going to share a word on these lines as well. Singing.